So if you could please stand as we open the Word of God. And if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, you can open your Bible to Philippians uh, chapter 1, uh, 1, 1, and 4, 4. Uh, if you're a guest and you do not have a Bible, please follow along on the screen. Uh, and it says in uh, Philippians 1, it says, From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. And in 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is the word of God. Please remain standing and join me in prayer. Father, we ask you today to just breathe in this service, Father, that, to, that you would anoint the lips of Pastor Creaney as he brings forth the message. Uh, and, Father, just soften our hearts, tenderize our hearts, that, Father, we wouldn't let uh, sin beco- become be, uh, be between uh, us and you this morning, but, Father, that we would just open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us this morning. We love you, and we thank you for this time. In your son's name, amen. Good morning. I apologize to our guests that the scripture wasn't up there. And I'd also like to introduce myself. My name is Morgan Creaney. I'm one of the elders here. And um, Kyle asked me to do the message this morning, so that's where we are. And it's my pleasure to bring the word to you this morning. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, next week, Kyle is going to begin a series on the book of Philippians. And so what I want to do today is just we're going to do an introduction to the book of Philippians. So it's a little different than a normal Sunday morning service, but um, it's going to just set the stage for our next series that Kyle's going to be doing. And I just, it's always a good idea to, do, uh, to just kind of have that background. Um, as I've been preparing this week for this message, I have read through Philippians a few times, I, I, and I wanted to throw that out as a challenge. Hey, Kyle. Kyle's like... <laughs> So Philippians is very short. It's only four chapters. And um, I was able to read through it a few times in one sitting, a couple of different times throughout the week. And so as we study this book, we'll get more out of it if you could do that and join us and just read through it. Like just take, you know, even probably less than half an hour, you could read through the whole book. And that's kind of unique because usually when we study a book, like we just studied uh, the book of Nehemiah, which was 13 chapters long. You know, that's going to be really hard to sit and read in one sitting. But the book of Philippians is very short, and we could read through it. And as, as you do that, and you kind of get the big picture when you come on Sunday morning and Kyle gives us little bits and pieces, it'll all just fit in together more. And so that's something that, that I'll be doing and that you can join us doing. And one of the reasons it kind of works like that is because Bible study is kind of like doing a puzzle. So you get all the little pieces, and you kind of put everything together. And when you put it all together, you come up with what the picture is. And so today we're going to kind of do, we're going to build the border. Like when you get a puzzle, you buy, you buy, out, you buy the puzzle, and you're like, wow, that's a really nice picture. And you open it and you dump out the pieces and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> and so the first thing you do, though, is you separate out, out all the pieces and you identify the border pieces and the corner pieces because they're easy to identify. And then they, they set your frame. And so when you have your frame, it just makes it a little bit easier to... Um, to fill in the picture. And so that's like what we're doing today. Today we're going to look for the corner pieces and fill in the frames. And then as we go on through this 
study, will have this context, and then Kyle's messages will come, and the picture will become full. And by the time we're done studying the book of Philippians, we'll just have this really nice picture of, of who Jesus Christ is through the book of Philippians. So that's our challenge, or well, that's what we're going to do today. So the first question, or the first piece we want to look at, is where is the book of Philippians? Like, it's not, it's amazing today, like, I, I do everything electronically, even right now. <laughs> and so when someone says, oh, turn to the book of Philippians, I don't have to turn. I put it in my search engine, and it just goes there. But the book of Philippians is, is in a particular place in the Bible. It's, and the Bible is put together in a special way. It wasn't just put together... Um, by mistake. And so where the books are, are on purpose. And when we know it, again, it helps us the, know the context. So the book of Philippians is the 11th book in the New Testament. So even right there, it just gives us a little hint of what we're looking at. It's not an Old Testament book, it's a New Testament book. And that's going to be a little bit different. Christ has come. Now we're talking about things that happened after Christ. I like to think of the New Testament as a bookshelf. And on this bookshelf, you have three, you have three shelves. And this first shelf here is history. So these are all history books. And it's the Gospels and the Book of Acts. And so these are historical records and where we get our history from. Um, then you have this whole big shelf here, which are epistles. And then you have this bottom shelf is, is prophecy. In the New Testament, there's only one book of prophecy. But the majority of it is this shelf here, these epistles. Now the word epistles is... Um, Oh, so Philippians is right here, number 11. The word epistles is just a fancy word that means letters. And so an epistle is a letter. And it, what's interesting is that all of these letters are things that were written to people and that we kept over the years, that we've had for the last 2,000 years. And so really, we're reading somebody else's mail. So when we're studying the book of Philippians, we're reading someone else's mail. This is a letter Paul wrote to somebody. Paul, when, and when Paul wrote this letter, he wasn't thinking 2,000 years from now there's going to be a group of people in Refuge Church reading what I wrote and studying what I wrote. He just wrote to them out of the desire that he had to write to them, just like if you wrote a letter to somebody. But the difference is that God breathed on it and it's inspired, and so these are the words of God as well. But it's, it, it, we have to remember that too. That as we read it, it's not written as you know, a theological treatise or a dissertation. It's just a letter from one person to, in this case, to a group of people. So it's, it's reading somebody's mail. It's a federal offense to all criminals. <laughs> so now this, this shelf here is actually divided into a little bit more. It's divided into two sections, Pauline epistles and then general epistles. And basically all that means is Pauline epistles, are all, these are all the ones that Paul wrote and these are the ones Paul didn't write. General epistles is just everybody else. So it's either Paul or somebody else. Now the line right here can actually be disputed. This line we put after Philemon and before Hebrews. Some people believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but that's a whole other conversation, and, and I can tell you why you're not right, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, anyways. So, but then we can further divide Paul's epistles because there's epistles that are to churches, that's these whole groups, and then those that are um, just to individuals. So these last ones, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, those were written to, to a specific person. 
where the rest of these are all written to specific churches. And that's where we are today. Philippians is written to a church. And then this can actually be divided into one more subdivision, and that's prison epistles. And these last four, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, are called prison epistles because Paul was in prison when he wrote those. And so that's where, where, we, where our book of Philippians is. So when we say we're going to study the book of Philippians, just by knowing this, it gives us a little bit of context and a little bit better understanding of the things we read. Especially when you read in, in Philippians where Paul talks about having joy in all circumstances. The guy's in prison when he writes this. And he's telling us how, how happy he is and how content he is. I, you know, if I was in prison writing to my family, I don't think I was going to be saying, hey, I'm really happy right now. But this is what he's saying. And the reason is because of Christ. And we'll see that as we go along. So that's where the book is in the Bible. So it's a New Testament book written by Paul. And now... What I want to do is identify the four corners of our puzzle. So there's four questions that we can answer. And um, luckily for us, the answers are actually all in the text. Um, so these four questions we answer about every book that, as we do an introduction to them. So the four questions are, who wrote the book? Where are they? So where is that person when they wrote the book? Who received the book? And where are they when they received it? These are basic questions that we ask and answer about every book. Um, luckily for us, our answers are right in the text, and we'll see that. Not all, that's not always the case. Like before I said, oh, people disagree on who wrote Hebrews, and the reason is because it doesn't say, hi, I, Paul, am writing to you. Hebrews doesn't have anything like that. But yet, in this epistle, we have that. So let's go through these questions and um, start building our, our border. Now, we've already kind of answered them, but we'll just get in a little deeper thing. So who wrote the book? This is our, our text for today that Bill read right here in verse 1. So 1-1, one, one, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So we see very clearly who wrote the book from Paul. Um, amazingly, liberal scholars will actually try to um, de not defend this, but they're crazy too, so I'll just try to stay to my own craziness. Now, it says, and Timothy. So a lot of times we want to say Timothy is a co-writer. I think it would be okay to say Timothy is a co-writer, but, but nobody does. <laughs> Paul's the only one who gets credit to be the author of this book, even though it very clearly says from Paul and Timothy. But the, the reason or the thinking behind this is, is because Timothy is Paul's companion. Timothy and Paul are a missionary team, and they travel together with other people as well that are mentioned in this book. But Paul and Timothy are always ones that are mentioned a lot. Um, but Paul is, is the main guy. Paul is, is the main leader, and Timothy is his companion. So we think of Timothy more as a companion rather than a co-writer. So meaning like all the ideas and the things that are said in here come from, Paul, from the mind of Paul rather than from the mind of Timothy. Now, I think they may have worked together, but as you read in it, the, there is a description of Timothy that um, is clearly written by Paul or spoken by Paul. Um, and then we're going to see a description of Paul in this, and 
And Paul is constantly speaking in the first person throughout this book. So it's not like he's the third person. And when being referred to Timothy, it's in, in the third person. So it just gives us this credibility as to say that it's written by Paul. And then the other thing, too, is Paul's the big dude. Paul is the, mo the impressive missionary. Timothy is like no one has ever heard of. You know, so it was like if, um, uh, if you think of a superhero in the faith way, Chuck Swindoll is someone I really admire. He's got a great church, great radio program. If I was working with Chuck Swindoll and wrote a book together with him, it would be by Chuck Swindoll you know, and, and Morgan Creaney. <laughs> Like, no one's going to buy it because Ann Morgan Creaney, you know, it's Chuck Swindoll. And so it's the same thing. And in the New Testament, even, now again, the Bible is 66 books. There were a lot of other books that could have gone around at this time. And so Paul wrote other letters, and people wrote other letters to other churches. And in order for us to determine if they were from God or not, one of the tests was, is it tied to an apostle? And so Paul is the apostle. Timothy, Timothy wasn't. So that's another reason why we say it was written by Paul. So Paul and Timothy, they're a missionary team. They traveled throughout the world together, and they actually started this church that they're writing to. So they know the people here. And that's one of the other reasons, too, why Timothy is included in the, in the opening salutation, because Timothy knows these people. He spent time with them, and we'll see that a little bit more, too. But for now, I want to just focus on Paul. Um, Paul is the main character, so who is Paul? Now, most of us know who Paul is if we've been around Christianity for a while, but just to rehearse, uh, Paul is a main character in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts records his missionary trips, three, three missionary trips to be specific, and on the second missionary trip, he founded this church in Philippi, and we'll talk more about Philippi when we look at them, but Paul has a very strong connection to the people that he's writing to. Um, now, what's interesting about the book of Philippi, of, well, the book of Philippians, is it gives us a snapshot into Paul's upbringing, into who Paul is. Because everything we know about Paul is things that we piece together. Like when we meet Paul in the book of Acts, he's a Pharisee who's attacking Christianity, and then he gets saved, and then he becomes a missionary. But like, we don't have like a bio about Paul. Like, you know, you can't turn to. Pauline 1 1 and find out well where did he live and where was he born where did he go to school all that stuff is just kind of pieced together throughout the New Testament and in the book of Philippians we have one of those such pieces and so we're gonna look at chapter 3 for a moment and this is um, very unique to the book of Philippians because we have this description of Paul it says if someone thinks he has good reason to put confidence in human credentials I have more I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. So he's just saying, hey, I was the Pharisee. I was raised in this. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I've been a Hebrew all my life, circumcised on the eighth day. I did everything to keep the law. And he, he says, in his zeal for God, I persecuted the church. When Paul was persecuting the church, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do because he was still living under the old covenant. And he hadn't realized that Christ was the Messiah yet. But then something happened. And we see in the book of Acts, the road to Damascus, Paul has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he, 
he gets saved. And then Paul says this. He goes on in the next passage. Oh, that's not it. This is it. So then he says, But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is, in fact, based on Christ's faithfulness. And that's the message of the gospel, and that's grace, and Paul understood that. And it's just amazing because of anyone, Paul would have been most resistant because he's saying, I did everything the right way. I, I, had, it, I, I had it all fulfilled. How is it now you're telling me I was all wrong? <laughs> and that's one of the hardest things we do when we witness to people that, that don't realize their need. They don't realize that um, this way isn't the way. It's not about how you did it. It's all about what Christ has done. And Paul got that. And so this is who Paul is, and this is the mindset that he has when he's writing to these people. And so it's a big piece of the puzzle here of, of, of about the author. So like when we're studying other Pauline books and we ask who is Paul, a lot of times we're going to go to Philippians to get that picture. And here in this book, we get it, we get it right here. So Paul is the one writing this book. And so the next question we're going to answer is where is Paul? Kind of like, where's Waldo? <laughs> where's Paul writing from? And now, it, which is a legitimate question when considering Paul, because Paul was an itinerant missionary. Paul was all over the place. You know, he took Acts 1.8 literally, and, which says to bring the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the world. Paul went to the other ends of the world. And so he's all over the place. And so it's a legitimate question for us to ask, where is Paul? Where is he writing from? And again, it, it helps you see the picture of the book better when you know where he is when he's writing. And when Paul wrote this book, he is in prison. Which is why we call it a prison epistle. But this is pretty much exactly what was happening. He had a guard attached to him that was responsible for him. He had the freedom to write, the freedom to live. He was more under house arrest than in a dungeon, but it was still prison. He still was... Um, in prison when he wrote. Um, in both 1 7, verse 1 7 and 1 14, um, he makes references to his imprisonment. So he very clearly talks about the fact that he is in prison. And then in verse 13, it just says it even clearer. So this is why I picked verse 13. It says, The, the whole imperial God and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. So we know exactly where he is and why he's there. He's in prison because he's a missionary. <laughs> There's no other reason why he's there. It's not like he is in prison because he stole something and he's just going to deal with that. He is in prison for the gospel. He is in prison because he is spreading the, the message of Christianity. And the funny thing, or I don't know, funny, but encouraging thing or interesting thing about that is if I was in prison because I'm a Christian, I don't think the first thing on my mind would be to write a letter to other Christians <laughs> and saying, hey, how you doing? I'm here, I'm Christian, and I'm in jail because I'm a Christian, 
And so let me write to you about how to be Christians. Because, you know, uh, my thinking is I'm in jail, and so I'm not sure that's the best thing for you to know. And, but that's not what, but Paul is just like, yeah, I'm in jail because this is where God has me and God protects me and I have joy in Christ. And um, now that some people disagree as to when or where Paul was in jail, because interesting enough, Paul was in jail more than once. <laughs> Paul is not, you know, I saw, heard this thing once about um, someone applying for a job in ministry as a missionary. And they read, you know, these different um, Applications, you know, and uh, the, there was just one. You were like, you would never hire this guy, you know. And they're like, oh no, that was Paul's life, <laughs> you know, because they're like in and out of jail, get beat and whipped, you know, never could get things together. Well, that was Paul, and so Paul has been in jail more than once. Um, so people disagree as to where Paul is in jail, but it seems very clear from the context of of the book and in connect, connection with the book of Acts that he's in jail in Rome right now. So he's, because um, at the end of the book, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, the term Caesar is a political term, which basically means president. So if we said today, hey, I'm writing to you from the president's house, you would assume that you're in Washington, D.C. Or I guess maybe Key Largo. Or <laughs> <laughs> but you would assume you're in one of those places. You know, if I say, hey, I'm with the president and... The, everyone in the White House greets you, then you're going to say, okay, he's in Washington, D.C. So when he says, everyone in Caesar's household greets you, that's a reference to the fact that he's in Rome under the godship of the Roman emperor. And in the book of Acts, it says, when, we entered, when he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So the book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome, under Roman house arrest. And so since in Philippians, he's saying everyone in Caesar's household greets you, it's pretty clear he's referring to his Roman imprisonment. Now, so this is Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Again, it's a house imprisonment. It's not too bad. He does get released after this, and that's why when we see him write some other books that chronologically come after this, he's not in jail. And then when he writes his final book, 2 Timothy, which also describes him being in jail. It's a very different situation. He describes a very different way of being in jail. And there he's in a dungeon. It's really cold. He asked Timothy to bring him his sweaters and stuff like that. So it's just a different time. So Paul, again, he's in jail more than once. But So here he's in his first Roman imprisonment under house arrest. And so that's where Paul is. Um, all right. One second. So... Those kind of like answer those questions. The, a little bottom puzzle here. Got the corner piece. Maybe. All right, so we got the author. Everyone, the author is? Paul. All right. Paul's in prison. Now, sometimes we can get some information to fill in this question here. Uh, a lot of times we ask, well, when was it written? So when we kind of put all these things together, the book doesn't tell us it was the, the year 62. But when we put in the fact that he was on his missionary journeys recorded in Acts, in the imprisonment and stuff, we can come up by deduction that this is the year. So it's the year 62, which, again, I find that amazing. We're looking at a document that was written in 62. I mean, I can't even fathom that. It's 2017. Like, that's a long time. <laughs> but yet, here we are. So, all right, so we have, we have our bottom border. 
So now I'm going to move on to our little top border and uh, answer the, the same kind of questions. Who is Paul writing to? This was also right in our first verse. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. He's writing to, um, to a church and its leaders. Now it says to all the saints in Christ Jesus. That's us. That's everybody. Anyone who's a believer is a saint. In our, in our culture, especially up here influenced by Roman Catholicism, saints tend to be people that are really special and do really cool things and things that, oh, I could never do that. You know, Mother Teresa, she's a saint. And, um, and actually, is she an official saint now? I'm not sure. I think she's been canonized. So, so the Catholic Church even has a whole process of saints. And, um, and saints for the Catholic Church, you know, you have the saint of lost things and the saint of policemen. And, the saint, and they end up praying to these people, and they get very unbiblical on how they use the term saint. In the Bible, the term saint is just somebody who is a believer. All the saints in Christ Jesus. The word saint just means set apart or separated. It comes from the word holy. And so believers are people that are separated from the world and are in Jesus Christ. So when it says to all the saints in Jesus Christ, that's, all, that's the congregation. So he's writing to the whole church. And that's us today. We're saints. We don't always act like saints or feel like saints, but that's because with, we're using the wrong definition of what a saint is. A saint is someone separated unto God. And if you're a believer, that's who you are. So you can call me Saint Morgan. That'd be fun. <laughs> but he's also writing to the leadership of the church with the overseers and deacons. And so he's writing to everybody. Sometimes he writes to just the leaders of the church, um, and other times he just writes to the whole church in general. Here he just wants everyone to know. And this letter was most likely written, read out loud to the church. And again, most people at that time weren't illiterate. I mean, were illiterate, so they couldn't read. So they had to, the letters had to be writ, read to them. So he's writing to the whole church. And where are they? It makes it pretty easy. They're in Philippi. Now, that is, what does that mean to us? <laughs> Philippi is an interesting place. Um, I'm not sure if the map is up. Okay, I don't think it is. But anyway, Philippi began as a Greek colony. It was named after the father of Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedonia. So Philippi is in what we call Europe. In Paul's day, it was called Macedonian. It's, it's northern Greece today. So Philippi is in, is in Greece for our for the sake of where, where we are. And now remember, Paul in, you know, start, is starting in Jerusalem, and the gospel is starting in Jerusalem, and now what we're seeing, it's made its, made its way over to Europe. So the, the gospel is progressing. It's the year 62, which that's only 30 years after the crucifixion. So in 30 years, it's gone throughout Asia, and now it's making the cross over to the new continent of Europe. Um, interesting thing about Philippi, um, is that it's the first church in Europe founded on Paul's second missionary journey. Paul's first missionary journey is all in the area of Jerusalem and, and Asia and all, all that continent. But when he was on his second missionary journey, he had a vision. and it, It's a vision called the Macedonian man. And he had a dream. This guy came to him in a dream and said, basically, come preach the gospel to us. 
And so he got up and he told his team, hey, we'll go into Macedonia. And so they left and they went and they went and landed in Philippi. Philippi was, again, it's north, and so that's where they went. Now, when they got to Philippi, there was no Jewish people in Philippi, or at the very least, there was less than 10 Jewish people in Philippi because there was no synagogue in Philippi. Remember, Paul's missionary journeys and his, his method was to always go to the synagogue because at the synagogue, at least the people had the understanding that the Messiah is coming. But when he goes to Philippi, there was no synagogue. And there was a rule that if there was 10 people in a town, 10 Jewish people in a town, then you would have to have a synagogue. So now we know that there's no Jewish presence in Philippi. And another interesting thing about the book of Philippians, there are no Old Testament quotes or references in the book. And that, again, would tell us because the people did not have a Jewish background. So here they are. They're Philippi. It's um, basically northern Greece. It's, there's no Jewish influence, and it actually had more of a Roman influence, even though it was a Greek colony. Because in, um, I forget what year it was, in 42 BC, the Romans came and made it a military town. So Philippi, Philippi was a military base for, the, for Rome. And the citizens there were mostly Rome. It was actually a nice retirement town for soldiers. And was, there was also a very busy, uh, successful um, commercial business there. When we see them in the book of, of, um, Philipp, the book of Acts, it talks about this lady, Lydia, who is a seller of purple. Purple is a very rare um, fabric, and she was a seller of it. And then she hosted the church in her house. And then we have the Philippian jailer who got saved. One of the most famous verses in the book of Acts, the guy says, what should I do to be saved? And Paul's believe, believe in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. So all those things happen in Philippi, and that's who he's writing to. And they started this church, and so that's who they are, and that's where they are. So I think we can recap. So now we got our little top things. Pictures coming in a little bit clearer. Who written to? Philippi, the church at Philippi, and destination is Philippi. So it's kind of the same thing. But So that's who they are. Again, this is not just a church that Paul hadn't been to. This is a church that... Paul had invested in, and he'd been there before. So now, with these things in place, we can kind of ask the next question, well, why? Why is he writing to them? All right. Now, there are many different reasons why Paul writes to people, and most of the time, Paul, most of the letters that we have that Paul wrote is because there was a problem going on in that church. And, and he couldn't get there, so he writes a letter to them, which is a valid thing. And I think one of the reasons why God preserved those letters for us into the, into the Bible is because a lot of those problems are the same problems that we have, and when we see how they dealt with them, we can deal with them in the same way. And so, <coughs> excuse me. however, Philippians is different. Philippians is, is unique in, in this way, too, that Paul isn't writing to um, deal with any problems. He, there's no problems going on. Everything was happy. These were happy people. Chuck Swindoll writes this. The Apostle Paul... Oh, I just got to find it in my notes. Well, I'm going to read it from here. <laughs> the Apostle Paul did not write Philippians in response to a crisis as he did with, with Galatians and Colossians. 
Instead, he wrote to express his appreciation and affection for the Philippian believers. More than any other church, the believers in Philippi offered Paul material support for his ministry. Paul's affection for these people is clear throughout the letter as he encouraged them to live out their faith in joy and unity. So Paul is writing, basically, this is a big thank you note. And this is why Paul is writing. James, can I get some thank you write note music? <laughs> but throughout, he thanks them for many things. And there is one specific verse that I didn't put in that he even mentions it. Paul, again, now Paul is in prison. It's under house arrest, but he doesn't have the means to go out and um, get a job and work. So he is dependent on gifts that people bring to him. And the Philippians sent him a gift. And this guy, uh, whose name I cannot pronounce, came and brought him the gift. And then he got sick. And the church of Philippi heard that their guy had got sick. And he was so sick that he almost died. And Paul is saying, I prayed and he didn't die. And I was just like, thank you, God, that you didn't put that on me too. <laughs> Paul is just like, I'm in jail. I can't talk to anyone. Don't let him die. This is like... And he's just like, I can't handle that one more thing. And miraculously, the guy didn't die. Paul writes this letter, and this, the guy brings it back. And, and he's like, thank you for your gift. And he also mentions two other gifts that they had sent to him previously. So this church at Philippi was a financial supporter of Paul. And people would have to bring it back and forth because there was no Western Union, no credit cards or stuff. So they had to physically bring the gifts to them. Now, it would make sense that the church at Philippi had this ability to do this because Philippi, again, is a very commercial town. And so the people there would be people of means and success. And so they could send Paul this, these letters, uh, these gifts. And so basically, this is a thank you note. And that makes it a lot different than a lot of the other books. Just the tone that you read, I, again, especially if you read through it in one sitting, you just come away with it. Oh, that's nice. It's like you're just uplifted. And like, you know, when you read through like Corinthians and one sitting, you're like, oh, man, those people. <laughs> or Romans. You read Romans chapter 1 and 2, and you're just like, oh, yep, that's the sinful world we live in. No, but Philippians isn't like that. It's a picture of just joy and contentment and happiness. And Paul is just writing this thank you note to them. But for us, it's more than a thank you note. And there are actually several issues and themes that, that we'll see throughout the book as we study it. And so I just wanted to point those out to us um, as we build our, our border and our puzzle. And so the first one is this, that the word Christ is mentioned over 40 times. And that's kind of significant. Like, it's, only, it's a small book, but yet the word Christ is mentioned 40 times. Jesus, the person, the theme, the idea of Christ is throughout every single chapter. In chapter 1, he is our life. 121 says, for, for me to live is Christ, and dying is gain. And a lot of the verses that we see, um, or a lot of the Christian, um, Christianese that we speak to encourage you, uh, like, come from the book of Philippians. When, we talk, when people are going through a tough time and they don't know if they can finish their job, we say, we're like, don't worry, you know, God began a good work in you. He's going to see it to completion. That comes from the book of Philippians. This verse here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, so a lot of these things that we know, that we hear all the time, they come from this book. In chapter 2, he is our model. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. 
And that's an amazing thing. And then in that chapter, right after that, it goes into this huge creedal doxology about Jesus Christ and the fact that he became a man, that he was God, and that he put his deity aside to serve us and die for us. And so he is our model. You know, oftentimes we talk about the golden rule, and the golden rule is a biblical concept that Jesus Christ himself did give, that just being due to others what you would want others to do unto you. But the, the epistles take that much further. Jesus, our, our model, we should do to others what Christ has done for us. And that changes everything, because Christ died for us. And in Romans, he says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. You know, it doesn't, Jesus didn't die for us because we were nice people, or, or we were happy with him. He died for us when we were still sinners, and he still did it. Um, when we get to chapter 2, uh, I mean, I haven't talked to Kyle, and I don't know what his plan is for chapter 2, but if, if in your Bibles, you'll see verses 6 through 11. Now, actually, the typeset is even different, and it's because it's a creed. Um, Christianity is a, is a religion of creeds. A creed is just a statement of belief. The word creed actually comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. And so in the f- second chapter of Philippians, we have one what I believe is one of the earliest creeds in all of Christianity. And it's all about the, what they call the humiliation of Jesus Christ. It's about the fact that he laid aside his deity and became man to die in our place. And that's what Christianity is all about. And so it's just interesting that the typeset would even be different. So he is our model. In chapter 3... He is our goal. Forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our goal is to be like Christ. And every day we just keep pressing on. And if we don't, you know, if we fall one day, we get up and we go again. Our goal is to be like Christ. And even says that, Paul says that in the book of Romans that we're being transformed to the image of Christ. And so our goal is Christ. That's, you know, it's very cliche. What would Jesus do? But that really should be our every question because <laughs> that's what we should do. Um, and when we don't, we recognize it and just, again, just keep moving forward, pressing on. I'm going to take out my phone and play the best Bob Dylan song ever, <laughs> which is act- it's actually a Christian song. It's called Pressing On, Bob and... Uh, but it's just, and it's based on this verse in Philippians. The Philippians has influenced our thinking so much. And, um, and I'm really excited that we're going to be studying it. And, um, but again, that's what we do. We press on. So let's press on to chapter 4, where we see that Jesus is our contentment. Paul says this, I have experienced times of, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. And this is, again, we say this all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what we say, and that's actually not the verse. This is the verse. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. That's just semantics, you know. But that's where our contentment comes from. And now remember, where's Paul when he wrote this? He's in jail. Paul's in jail saying, I am content because of Christ. And I, you know, I just find that amazing. 
And then the number one theme in the book is joy. It's the main theme. It's seen throughout the entire book. Chapter 1 is joy in living for Christ. Chapter 2 is joy in serving Christ in unity. Chapter 3 is joy in knowing Christ. And chapter 4 is joy in resting in Christ. And so we're going to see this theme of joy throughout the whole book. And again, it's one of the reasons why you just really enjoy reading it, because it's joy. <laughs> um, it's not, you're not like, you don't come away heavy. You come away refreshed and, and lighthearted. But again, I just think about, too, how it all goes back. You know, Paul is this amazing preacher, too, because he, he lived what he preached, Paul is able to be in prison and have joy because he's in Christ. And that's what we see in this book. And when we think about it, you know, I just find it amazing. Um, one person wrote this. Well, what it says is, Joy dominates this letter to the believers at Philippi. In fact, the concept of rejoicing or joy appears 16 times in four chapters. The pages radiate the positive, triumphant message that because of Christ's work for us, because of the Holy Spirit's work in and through us, and because of God's plan for us, we can and should rejoice. And that's really what the bottom line is. All because of the work of God, we can have joy. We can have contentment. We can have peace. And these are all the things that we're going to see as we study this book. So one of the things you usually do when you study a book, you come up with a theme. And so the theme is, by centering our lives around Christ, we can experience true joy. And that's what we're going to learn, true joy. Because joy isn't happiness. happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. We're happy today because the weather's nice and we can have a nice picnic outside. But if it wasn't or it starts raining, we can still have joy because God has provided us food. God has given us things. Joy comes from your relationship with God. Happiness comes because of things on the outside. Joy is because of things on the inside. And there's nothing wrong with happiness, and we should all want to be happy. But happiness is fleeting, and you can lose your happiness. But you can't lose your joy. If you walk with Christ, you can have your joy, regardless of your circumstances. So all of this brings us to a nice border now for our study in the book of Philippians. I stole this picture offline, so I'm not sure if it's the sermon, summer sermon series. <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be up to Kyle's timing. <laughs> I just thought it was a cool picture, um, but I just thought it would be nice today for us to set that stage and, and have that background. So when we see these verses, and especially when we see the verses that that call us to do something that we might not want to do, let's remember, you know, what? Paul did these things. He didn't ask us to do anything that he himself hasn't done. And remember, like. He knows these people that he's writing to, and he's in prison. And, and like, again, that's the thing that just blows me away the most, because even if I wasn't in prison, writing a letter to someone isn't you know, the most exciting thing. But like, if you're in prison, I just have other things on my mind. And he doesn't. What he has on his mind is Christ and his, and his people. So with that, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you've preserved this book for us, some 2,000 years of church history, passing it down from church to church, and 
Paul, not even knowing that when he wrote such a letter that it would have such an impact. But you breathed on it. We know that these are your words, and we look forward to studying them in great detail. And we just ask that you would be with Kyle as he prepares and be with us as we also prepare throughout the week. Help us to, to do our preparation and study in you and, and praying for Kyle and praying for each other. And we just ask for your blessing upon this series. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.